So take your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to do five verses. Uh, one of them we've already hit. We're going to hit the other three or four verses. Um, if you guys know what we're doing, we're just preaching through the Bible. That's what we're doing. We're taking what God is teaching us as we go through this, and we're talking about being different. God has called us out of the world to be different. There should be a distinction about you and your life and your ministry and your marriage and your parenting and your character and your lifestyle should be different. If it's not different, I question if something has happened in your life that should have happened because when the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, you can't stay the same. You can't. Man, you'll be radically different because of the transformation of the Spirit of God. And uh, if you don't understand that, go back to the beginning of the series when we started preaching about this. And uh, I, am, I am going to end the series today. There's lots more to preaching 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to still hit it. There's some messages that are coming up that I'd like to hit and things like that. Uh, but uh, we're going to hit some new things next week. Uh, I, I'm, I'm preaching on marriage today, and we're preaching on the subject of we're different because we believe marriages should thrive, not just exist, not, not just survive, not just be okay. <clears throat> I get a kick out of this when I do premarital, premarital counseling, and there's these young couples that will come in, and they're holding hands, you know, as they walk through the door, and they come and sit, and my chair's in my office, or where I meet with people are kind of separated from each other. And, and they'll come in and they won't even let go of holding hands. You know what I'm saying? They're holding on as they and sitting there and their hands are stretched out. And I'll ask the question, uh, why do you guys want to get married? And they just, they just stop and they pause for a minute and they look at me and then they look at each other and then they just smile and we're so in love, you know, and just like, you guys have been there. I hope you guys were all there at one time. I hope, you know. And then I'll ask that question, and it's like, well, how soon, how, how much time do we have until you guys get married? And then they'll smile and they'll look at each other, and they'll be like, we, we've got 32 days, 6 hours, and, and 22 minutes from right now until we're married. And it's kind of gross. But anyways, <laughs> and, and then I have the flip side of that, where I'll have marriage counseling with people that have been married, you know, for a longer length of time. They'll come into my office and I'll ask the questions. We're getting into marriage counseling. I'll be like, how long have you guys been married? And, you know, the guy is like, I don't know, 20, 30 years, something like that. How long have we been married, baby? You know, just it's like, you know, lose track of everything. And then I ask the questions, digging into their life and things like, you know, when's the last time you guys been on a date night? You know, I was like, you know, because a lot of those things fade out when you're, when you're dating. It's, man, date night's every Friday night, and we get together, and we talk on the phone, and we write each other's notes and stuff like that. So when was the last time you guys had a, a date night? You know, and the guy is like, well, the sub pump went out, so we went down to Home Depot, and I took her with me, and she didn't want to make dinner that night, so we stopped by at the White Castle, and you know, I'm like, dude, that's not a date night. That's, that's called fixing your sub pump. You know, that's like, that, that, that's called, you know, go, going through the, the, the toilet aisle and picking out the next commode for the house is not romantic, okay? If you're that far removed, we, we can talk about it, okay, and explain what should be. And you say, how should it be? Now, I know we're in 1 Corinthians, but let me give you some other verses. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. And you say, how should I do that? Oh, even as Christ so loved the church, and he gave himself for it. He, he held nothing back. You think about 
how does, how does God love us? It, 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 we know that he loves us and we love him. Uh, we're to love our wives, so Christ loved the church. Well, how was that? And you think about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This go out of his way, sacrificial, meet our deepest need. <clears throat> it should be like that. It's, it's, he came to us, he forgave us. And uh, you think about it, if you've been married for 20 years versus you've been saved for 20 years, and it's supposed to be a relationship that's parallel one another, and I say, what is your relationship with God after 20 years? I'd hope nobody would say something like, um, well, I've been married for 20, or I've been saved for 20 years, it's just kind of old by now, and I, I don't know, I love God, but it's not a big deal. You, you'd say, no. If, if you've been saved for any length of time, you should love him and know him in a deeper way than you've ever had. And it should, it should get better over time. Well, if that is true with your relationship with God, then it should be true with our relationships with one another. But it doesn't, doesn't always happen that way. Your relationship, I know relationships change over time. And I'm not saying it's going to be the same way that when you're married at 21 versus when you're married at 77. I know things change in life. But there should be some form of romance and passion and joy. There should be connection and date nights and surprises. And sometimes we've just become partners that pay the bills and cut the grass and fold the laundry and go through the motions. And you say, how are things? And you say, I don't know, they're okay. And you just wonder what's missing. If God's design for marriage was to be great, then why is it struggling so much? And, and I say this even to people that are, grow up, grew up in church and you're in church, maybe right now. And, and you're already contemplating the word divorce. And if I was asked your kids, what is your marriage, your mom and dad's marriage like? And they sat back and say, honestly, mom and dad, they just fight all the time. And man, they're not, they're not happy. And, and I've had kids tell me things like, I believe mom and dad would be happier if they just got a divorce. These are our kids. And, and, and they're supposed to be, where, where do, I, I say this all the time, where do your kids learn what marriage should be like? Is there a class and are you going to find that on TikTok? Are you going to find that on YouTube? Are you going to ever find that in, in high school? No, they, they learn what marriage should look like from, from one to two to three to four to five. And they grow up watching biblical marriage or they should. It's not just taught, it's caught. It's, it's what they see, that, that their eye affects their heart because they see it lived out. And a lot of marriages today, they just feel stuck. It's just, it, it's not going anywhere. It's not good. It's just, there's just, just no joy to it. I asked the question, if God is in it, then if God wants it to be better, then why is it that way? <clears throat> Let me make some statements before I get into this. If you are single here today, and me preaching on marriage does not mean that you're in a bad place. I, I think sometimes we get so preaching on marriage and things like that, that some people sit back and say, man, I, we, we make statements. We, we, we affect people that are single a lot because we make comments like, man, I'd like to fix you up with somebody. Do you know what the word fix up means? Think about it. Have you ever thought about the terminology that we use with that? It's, it's kind of like if I bought a house and I said it's a fixer-upper, it means it needs to be improved or it's broken. And we do that with single people all the time. We'll go up and say, you know what? I need to fix you up. And in, in, in our minds, it's like you're broken. <clears throat> Paul, in his passage in verse 8, he was saying, it might be good that some of you remain single some as, as I am. You're not, if that's where God has you at the time, that's not a bad thing. 
So don't think because we preach on marriage that we're preaching against you because I'm going to preach that it's good and God has a plan. If that's where God puts you, then it is a good thing. But if God doesn't have you there, don't get married or the pressure of married marriage because your mom keeps pushing you to get married and have kids. Guys, hear me, mom and dad? Don't play the Holy Spirit with your kids. If you are divorced, let me say that God is a God of healing, restoration, and second chances. I don't want anybody in here saying he's preaching on marriage. And a lot of the things that I'm saying as I preach through this, you're thinking, man, we did that. We did that. I made that mistake. I get that. You cannot go back and change the past. But you can claim the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives us of our past and restores us in a way that only God can. You are not damaged goods and God is not finished with you. Just know that. But why is this important? Because marriage is an institution that is foundational. Before there was school, before there was church, before there was family, before there was anything, God established marriage of husband and wife from the very beginning of it. And, and that's important for us to understand. It's more than just two people falling in love. <clears throat> marriage is a foundational principle of society. Uh, ben Shetler last week did an awesome job over the weekend. He was talking about the foundation, the foundation, the foundation. Part of the foundation of our culture today is marriage. <clears throat> and I think that's important for us to understand just because uh, <clears throat> it should be good and it should be growing and it should be thriving. And I, I think it's important for us to grasp that concept. If you are in a relationship with somebody and God brought you together, then God has a plan for that. And it's more than just having kids. And it's more than for just existing. God has a foundational principle of building the church and building culture and everything through the foundation of marriage. Let me show you this. In the Bible, everything begins and ends with marriage. Did you guys ever think about that? When God created everything and God said, it's not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helpmeet for him. God started the very first thing. He didn't start with family. God didn't even start with just men and women. You think about it. He did. And you say, what about Adam and Eve? But from the very beginning, he established them as husband and wife. He started with marriage. It says in, in the creation of man, he said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Didn't say his partner. Didn't say his significant other. From the very beginning, cling unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. He did not just make two people or men and women, but he created marriage from the very beginning. If you go to the very end of marriage, or very end of time, you find marriage. Say, so you're serious. You're talking about going to heaven and being with God in the end of time. But think about it. And I, John, saw the city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, God calls us to be the bride of Christ. The illustration of marriage. The Bible begins and ends with the illustration of marriage. It's a big deal. So Paul is addressing the sexual sins that were tearing this church apart. We've gone through that. We did two messages about that. And I wasn't trying to harp on something. I'm just saying it's a big deal in our culture. It's important for us to understand. Today I want to focus on the right thing. Okay? I want to focus on what's right and what's in here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. We've already done this verse, so I'm only going to tap it on the head as we go through this. Now concerning the things whereof... You wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, there was, he was dealing with fornication, and he was talking about that the fact that it's good for you not to have relationships with the opposite sex, that the word touch literally means to kindle a flame or to turn on. 
Don't, don't start acting like married people if you're single people. And a lot of us get into trouble with premarital sex because of the fact is that we don't set up boundaries in our lives. We cross these boundaries and all of a sudden we end up jumping into bed with people that are not our spouses. Just for the record, as I say this, that is not of God. It's sin. And, and I'm not saying that to be mean for anybody that's living in that lifestyle. I'm saying that from my heart to tell you, if God established something to be right and you're doing what's wrong, then it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. His marriage. Paul is going to teach on marriage. Not to fade, not to fall apart, not just to exist, not to lead to divorce, but to thrive. The opposite of this. So I'm going to give you some points on how to have a marriage that thrives rather than dies. If you want to take notes and do the opposite, you can kill your marriage. I, 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 mean, I mean that. You can absolutely kill your marriage. Because a lot of us are doing this, and it shouldn't be that way. I'm going to start off really foundational, okay? Because I think it's important. Number one, we need to embrace God's design for marriage. I got into this verse and I thought, man, how it's almost redundant of what he's saying. He says about marriage right here. He says, marriage is an incredible thing and God created it and it works, but it must be done God's way. But think about what he says. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every wife have her own husband. Do you guys see the distinction there? It's a man and a woman but he gives them the title or the role or the responsibility of being a husband and a wife. I am, I am more than just the man that lives in my house. I've got a role on my life that I am the husband. I've got a job. Jenny is more than just the woman in our house because she's married to me. God gave her a responsibility. If he came up to me and says, who is that guy that's preaching? And just like, oh, he's just some guy and I'm just some guy. But it's for my responsibility given to me by, by God I have the title or the role or the responsibility of a pastor. Because I have the title or the role or the responsibility of a pastor, I can go to passages in the Bible that tell me that I have a certain way that I need to live and conduct myself because I'm held to a standard that God has established for the role of which I have. So you cannot go out of here and say, I am a husband and live your own way. You cannot walk out of here and say, I'm a wife and I live my own way. If you are different and you live according to the word of God, God has told us that role has to be done God's way. You're not just a male. You're not just a female. You're not just a man or a woman. God has established a role of responsibilities for you. So let me put this, and it takes two. For everybody here, and you're going to nudge, and I mean, there's going to be a lot of nudging going on. I know that. And by the way, I can see it. It's okay. I can't see everybody that's on the screen right now on Facebook, but I know the nudging's going on. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to be like, there's some nudging, but we'll go with it. (laughs) Marriage is a combination of two different types of people. God made us different. So we have to embrace are different roles in marriage. It says this, and I know I'm reiterating this a lot. Every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. There's two different roles here, okay? I do this in premarital counseling. Can I do premarital counseling with you guys? This is what I do every time I start off with, you know, a couple and stuff. So I'm going to kind of give you some of this. So I, I, I take the word of God. I have them bring their Bible. And some of you that are here have been through this with me. So I take them all the way back to Genesis And I just tell the Bible story of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. 
and we go through this, and I start asking questions. So I'm going to ask these, these questions. Okay, what did God create on the sixth day? Oh, it's quiet in here. You guys are like, can we talk in church? You guys can yell at us. God created man and woman. Okay, that would just help me out there. But a lot of times we tell the story wrong. And we don't fully tell the story the way that it is because sometimes we just kind of run through it. It's like a bullet point list. On this day, God created this and did this and this and we go through this. But on that day, God created Adam and Eve. But we, we almost have to say God created Adam when we finish the story because God did not create Adam and Eve at the same time. Now, in, in Genesis chapter 1, he explained it and he made man and woman. But when we get to chapter 2, he starts breaking it down. God created man before he created woman. He created them at several times. He, he, there he was, he, let me explain this. God was making a distinction as he was doing this. God created them at separate times. God created them in separate ways. What did God do differently at the beginning of this? God created man out of the dust of the ground. God created woman out of the rib that he took from Adam. He, he made, he's making a distinction. Can I explain this, guys, as we go through this? God made a distinction, a drastic, visual, obvious distinction between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. And it goes all the way back to the beginning when God was establishing the foundation. He goes to Adam and he makes him out of dirt. He formed man, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. When man rose up out of the dirt, God had one person to spend time with them. Before God ever introduced the man to the woman, man was alone with God. You cannot successfully lead your wife until the man learns to be alone with God. Foundational right here. He could have easily made Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground and he formed both of them, but he didn't. He made a distinction. From that, God gave responsibilities, and the Lord God took the man. It doesn't say, and God took Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden. God took the man and put him into the garden to dress it and to keep it. He named the animals. He was oversight of the garden. He gave them responsibility. He made them work. Guys, you hear that? He made them work. You say, I thought this was before the curse. God gave responsibility even before the curse. There, There was part of what God was doing. Adam was alone with God. Uh, he, was, he was way before he was introduced to it. Now listen to this. God gave Adam instruction. And the Lord God took, or the Lord God commanded the man. You guys look at that. I want you to see that. God, the Lord God commanded who? The man. <coughs> Saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. You guys know he goes on and say, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou not, shall not eat it. But I'm going to ask you guys, who did God tell not to eat of the tree. The man, the husband, the, the dude, okay? God said, don't eat of the tree from the very beginning. Now, I'm going to ask you a deep question. If Eve isn't there, God, you know, how is Eve supposed to know this? God was establishing order. God was establishing responsibilities. God was establishing roles in marriage. Now, they both sinned. I'm telling you, they both sinned, but God, God calls Adam out. I'm going to say something right now. Husbands, according to the Bible, you are leading. Let me just ask you. Are you leading your family spiritually? <clears throat> are you leading your family spiritually? The Bible gave us roles and responsibilities in marriage. God gave us things to say, this is what you're supposed to do. I have something wrong with my throat, and I've been battling with this all week. So you guys 
And bear with me as I go through this. But God gave him responsibilities and said, you're to teach your wife, you're to lead your wife. Guys, let, let me just state this right now, just so you know. A lot of the problems that we have in our homes is because men are not doing their responsibility to lead their family. You were created by God. I'm going all the way back to creation. You were created by God to be alone with God, to hear the instructions from God, to have responsibility from God. And then God knocked Adam out, put him to sleep, and said, dude, you're not going to be good at this next part. And he goes over and he creates Eve. And then he takes Eve and he brings him unto Adam. Because if Adam was to say, to go to him and say, what do you need? You know what we would have said? We would have said, I need a hot girl. You know, I need this. I need that. God knocked him out and said, you don't even know what you need. I am, I am the creator of your life. I am the author of marriage. I know what you need more than you need. God knocked him out and then God made him what he needed. When God was doing this, God said at the very beginning, it is not good that man should be alone. God was establishing this. Can I just say some things right here? Adam was created by God to be the head of the home. Now this does not mean that he beats his chest. does not mean that he does not respect his wife. But I'll tell you what this does mean biblically. Man is accountable to God for what happens in his home. You say, explain that to me. Adam and Eve sinned. Let's just lay it out there. Who ate the tree first? Yell it out. Just say it. Eve, Eve did, the woman. Now, wouldn't you say that she's the one, and we, we, we never go back in Scripture and find anywhere that Eve is thrown under the bus for eating of the tree because she was accountable or she was supposed to be led by her husband. My question is, where was Eve? Where was Adam when all this was going on? Where was, you know, and most of the time we saw that they were never separated of this. So God goes looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. We tell this story all the time. that God went looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. That is not biblically, that is not true. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Do you guys hear me? And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? God went to the one that he left responsible for the home. Men, you are to lead your family. And men, you're the head of your house because at the head of the house, the head of everything, there's got to be somebody that's accountable to God for what God has instructed us to do. I've used this illustration in premarital counseling a lot of times. Some people say, are you saying that the man is more important than the woman or the woman is more important than the man? I'm not saying God created us to be helpers and partners in this relationship. But I can tell you, when it comes to Fellowship Baptist Church, I'm going to answer to God because I am the leader of the church. And if there's a CEO or the president or whatever, we understand this concept that there's got to be somebody at the head, at the helm, that is held responsible for what's going on. When it comes to the family, God made the man to be responsible for his family. Say, so that's not talked about very often in this world. Yeah, and it's not working, is it? It's not working. Men will come to me and say, well, we're falling apart because my wife doesn't respect me. Have you ever asked the question why your wife's not respecting you? Maybe that you're not being the spiritual leader and leading your family? You can't respect, it's hard to respect something when it's not even being done God's way. If you are the husband, you are responsible to lead, to teach, and to protect, to lead your family in prayer, to go to church, to stand up for what's right, to have standards, and set the example. 
when you don't do this, the marriage suffers. Everything suffers. Everything falls apart. You say something is wrong. Something's not working. The wife is frustrated because the husband is not the leader of the home. She's stepping up trying to do everything by herself. And then what happens? If you go to chapter 3, verse 1, Satan steps right in right after that. And the Bible says and Satan was more subtle than in any of the beasts of the field. That, that, that he steps in and still doing this today. I've got to hurry. Go, go, let me show you the next point. You've got to not only embrace your roles, but embrace the value of your differences. Nevertheless, you avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife. So now there's a connection. It's not just husband and wife. Let him have. Okay, I'm going to have my own wife. Let the woman have this. You've got to embrace the fact that God brought somebody or some different role of responsibility into your life to help you. Notice the wording of this. His own wife, his own husband, made for each other. Here's the crazy thing, the cool thing about God's creation. God created creation to rely on other things. Nothing is self-sustaining. Have you ever thought about that? Nothing is self-sustaining. God created the sun and God created the moon. God created the land. God created the sea. God created day. God created night. God created mountains. God created valleys. God created rain. God created sunshine. God created summer. God created winter. God created cold. God created hot. God created work. God created rest. Even in the function of things that we know in culture today, if you take a battery and you say, how does electricity work? There, there, is the, the, there is the positive and there is a negative. Take the negative off and it doesn't work. Take the positive off, it doesn't work. Put them together and have them work in sync. It works. Yep. Where did that come from? God created it that way. Yes, the same thing is true with magnetics. There's a positive and there's a negative. If you put them in the right way, they connect. If you don't, they push each other aside. Yep. Doesn't work. This is huge because God created us to complement one another. Husband and wife come together in unison for this. God created us different to need and rely on one another. God created us different to fulfill one another, to need each other. From the very beginning of time, and Ben Shetler said this when he was here, God could have created humans as one gender. He could have just simplified things and just made humankind. And we go through life and we could have worshipped and did all the things that we can. But God created it and say, even it to multiply, even to be blessed with your kids, you've got to have opposites coming together to form something we call marriage. And there's going to be no moving forward and no blessing of family without opposites coming together. The world is all about making us equal and making this the same. We're not equal and we're not the same. You say, well, we already know. There's something beautiful about the sunshine, and there's something beautiful about the rain, or, or the moon, and there's something beautiful about the, the, when God created everything. And I, I could go through the illustration, but you get the point. It's a matter of God made them different to work in harmony, to create a purpose. From the way that we think, our brains are literally wired differently from men and women. The way that we nurture I mean, you, you think about little kids when they get hurt and they run into the house and like, Daddy, I fell on my elbow and I hurt. I'm like, get out in the yard and play. You're fine. They run to Mommy. Mommy, I fell on my elbow and it hurts. And Mommy kisses the elbow and puts a Band-Aid on it. You're all better. Oh, it's all better. They come back to Daddy. Daddy, I fell again. And it is like, I'm going to tell you the truth. Mommy, kicked your, Mommy kissed your elbow and that did nothing, son. She deceived you. <laughs> that kiss did nothing. Mom probably gave you germs on your boo-boo, son. You're, you're going to die of an infection now, okay? It did nothing. 
Hey, you said that's terrible, whatever. Do you realize that, that our kids need the softer side for a mom to coddle them and hold them and love them and kiss them and say, mommy's going to kiss your boob and it's going to be okay. And they need the manly side to be able to say, son, you're fine, get up. And, and what, what happens is we, we try to eliminate one side of that. And we, we have just one side of it. And then we have men that are growing up as feminine and, and women that are growing up masculine. God created men to be masculine. And God created women to be feminine. Okay, that's Bible. And that's not to cause confusion, whatever. It's a beautiful thing. And Satan tries to constantly rob from man what is beautiful that God created. God created it to be a wonderful, beautiful thing. Not because I'm not as important as a man or I'm not as important as a woman. No, you're beautiful in the fact that you compliment Here's what the devil tries to do. This is what the world tries to do. Is he tries to get the two different sides to compete. And in reality, God created the two different sides to complete. There's a difference. God created us that way on purpose to complete one another. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper, a helpmeet for him. I'm going to bring what he's missing into his life to complement one another. This is what God did. The problem is when we stop valuing the differences that God made. You say, well, she can't make up her mind, or she gets emotional about this, or she always wants to talk, or he always wants to plan things out, or he's cautious about this, or overthinks, or he's too aggressive, or whatever. And you say, I'm just not like that. God was like, I didn't want him to be like that. I, wanted, I, wanted, I made you different to bring balance to the relationship. Uh, me, me and Jenny have discovered this. It's, it's funny how different we are. So I, I have the privilege. My sister Christine is back here with us. She came up. My mom is here. And they came in to be with me over the weekend. And so I love them so she can vouch for this. When we grew up, our lifestyles of us growing up in, in my house and, and, and Jenny growing up in her house, it's two different, two different worlds, two different styles. I grew up with brothers and two sisters. And she grew up with all sisters. And it's different. And, and when, we, when we do different things in life, it's way different. When we go on vacation, you know what I want to do? I want to plan out the trip. We're going to theme parks. We're going to hit every theme park. We're going to get there in the morning. We're going to stay. We're going to hit all the big rides. I calculate what we paid for that theme park ticket divided by the number of rides that we went on, and that's the value of that ride. And sometimes you pay a hundred and some dollars to get into Disney World or Universal, and you only ride three rides. I'm telling the kids, that cost me like 40 bucks a ride, kid. But daddy, I'm scared I don't want to ride the ride. I don't care. I need better value for our trip. Get on that ride. Throw up. I don't care. We're going to do this thing. And, and Jenny's like, what are we doing tomorrow? I'm like, we're going to get up, babe. We're going to go to the next theme park. And she's like, but we're so tired. I said, it's vacation. You're supposed to be tired. Kids have blisters on the bottom of their feet and sunburn and they're exhausted. I can't get them out of bed. That's vacation, baby. That's vacation. I'm asking Jenny, what do you want to do? She goes, can we get an Airbnb and just sleep in and get up and go to the pool and order in food? I'm like, that's not vacation. And the beauty of it is now we go on vacation. We're going to go to a theme park one day. You know what we do the next day? We get up, we sleep in, we go to the pool, and we order in food. It's balance. Can I tell you I'm wired like that as a man? I'm wired as that as a pastor? I'm wired to lead and execute and have plans and things like that. And what God said, it's not good that Tony should be alone. 
And God turns around and he brings balance to relationship by bringing into my life something that I knew. But the problem is we, we, we don't value that in relationships. Next thing, marriage is a one flesh relationship. It's, it's one of the only things that we know like this. It's a one flesh relationship. The worldview is she is spending my money. He has no rights to my phone. That's, that's, that's what, what happens on this phone. That's my business. And I can look and talk to whoever I want because this is my property and my, 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 my. So God said, well, well, wait a minute. Can I, can I explain this to you? That's not the kind of relationship that marriage. Marriage is a very different kind of relationship. I'm taking you back to Genesis. And I know I'm doing that, but that's our foundation. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She was called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You know, I, 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 I being honest, I sometimes get hurt thinking about how Morgan, she plans to hurt me one day. She does, and I'm her dad, and I should be the rock in her life. But she, that girl's going to meet some jerk. She's going to meet some jerk one day. And all of a sudden, I won't be her roller coaster buddy. She's going to have a new roller coaster buddy. And, and she's going to one day walk down maybe even this aisle or an aisle of a church. And she's going to walk down the aisle. And I'm going to be by her side. And then she's going to shove me out of the way and say, sit down, old man. And then she's going <laughs> to grab the guy that has hair. He's going to strut down there and grab her by the arm and swoop her. I'm going to be like, that's going to happen to me one day. And you say, why is that? Because therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his spouse, and they shall be cohabitants in a house. No, the Bible says, and they shall be one flesh. You guys understand that this relationship of marriage is the only relationship in the world that is described as one flesh. The only thing. It, it, it is not just partners. It's not, the Bible describes it as one flesh. Literally means that they are part of your life in such a way. You think about even from the creation of Adam and Eve. God took man and he made him out of the dust of the ground. God could have taken woman and made her out of the dust of the ground. But remember, he wasn't just making male and female. God was creating marriage. So he reaches into Adam's life and he takes out the bone and he goes over to Eve and he makes the woman. Because one day they're going to get irritated. And they're going to go to each other and go to God and say, you know what, I'm sick of her. We try to talk about things and she just starts crying. I ask her what's wrong. She says nothing, Lord. She says nothing. But Lord, obviously, if you look at her, there's something wrong. Lord, I, I've asked her 10 times where she wants to eat. And she says she doesn't care. But every place that I say we want to eat, she rolls her eyes and says, I don't feel like that. Eve speaks up and says, he is a jerk. All, all, he, he, he wants to get physical all the time and he looks at me and I wish there was such a thing as clothes and you know there's just this relationship and this banter going back and forth in this relationship and she could have just stepped up and said I'm done with this I don't want him in my life anymore there, there's a problem there number one God put them together when God puts us together God doesn't make mistakes there's another thing. I'd have to separate what God did, or God would have to separate what he did. 
So God would have to go to Adam and say, just take back your rib and let's just call it a separate, let's just, let's just separate the, and, and take back what's yours. Adam would have to go up to Eve and say, Lord, I'll have to rip her apart. And God says, absolutely. You want to know why God took a rib out of Adam to make marriage? Because what God has put together, let no man put asunder. But it's more than just an anti-divorce illustration or message that God is doing. This was a visual of what God's saying is, I've made you closer than any other relationship on the face of the planet. It's a one flesh. And I know I, I can have his savings account and she can have his savings account because we're saving for surprises or anniversary gifts. Or something. I'm not talking about that. But this whole idea that it is my life, my business, my thing, my kids, my house, my retirement, my, 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 you don't get marriage. Those are my kids and I'm going to do this and I saved up for this and that's my time and my, 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 you don't get marriage. Marriage is each for the other. God literally said, it, you are one flesh. I don't have time to get into it. The Bible says, talks about men and saying that, that how we love ourselves is how we to love our spouse. And there's, there's so much teaching with this. And God made it this way on, on, on purpose. Now I'm going to go faster because I do have two more points, but we'll, we'll just go faster with this. We thrive in marriage when we embrace God's design for marriage. But notice verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The word render means to deliver, to give away, or reward to their spouse. The word due literally means required or needed. The, the word benevolence, we know that. Um, and, and say, people will call the church and say, do you have a benevolence fund? What they're asking is, you, do you have any resources available in the church to meet the needs that I have of food or, 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 or whatever it might be that they have for their life, food or clothing or money or whatever? They're just asking, do you have a benevolence fund? The word benevolence literally means the, the, also uh, using kindness through resources that you have. So here's the thing. We thrive in marriage when we meet each other's needs. Let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence. And likewise, also the wife, the husband. It's the same thing. It's the, you are to take the kindness and the resources that you have from being different. The sun helps the moon and the moon helps the sun. And you say, which one's better? They need each other. And, and if you were to grow a plant, the, 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 the plant needs sunshine and the plant needs water. You say, which one's more important? They need both of them. But have you ever thought that God created plants to need the other things that he created? He created them different on purpose. You can say, my spouse is needy. And I'm going to say, you are absolutely correct. God made us that way. Because I need to be encouraged. And I need to be valued. And I need to be appreciated. We need to feel loved. I need to know that I'm not alone in life. I need to know that I don't face ministry alone, that I don't face family problems alone, that I don't face depression alone. And God says, you know what? It's good that man shouldn't be alone. I'm going to create him a helpmeet or a partner or something that's going to help him. God, God created it this way. And when he created them, he said, he said a helper, a helpmeet, a lover, a friend, someone that meets the other person's need. And by the way, we use the illustration of, of our marriage with Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. You know what that was? God loved me and he didn't just say, I love you. Babe, you know I love you. You know I love you. No, God came out of heaven to step in the world to meet my greatest need. And what did he get out of it? 
oh, we just crucified him on a cross and spit in his face, ripped out his beard and, and, and scourged him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This, this is why the Bible says, husband ties it in, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it. So it's like, as we're different, and we're like, you're like, I'm the head of this house, you're gonna do what I say. You know, God describes it, and describes it, and says, you realize that all the resources and everything that you have, the kindness and the edification, the words of affirmation and the service, and all those other things, you are you're to meet, to, to give unto your wife the due benevolence. Give her what she needs. And likewise, the wife, your body is not your own. You are to give to your spouse what she needs. You say, what happens? Let's be honest. We get lazy. We begin to take each other for granted. Um, this past week, have any of you guys ever heard of the five love languages? Raise your hand. You've heard of the five love languages. So that's by Gary Chapman. This past week, we're part of the Idea Day Network. And... Um, Every Tuesday, they have like a class that they do on a Zoom call. And the guest speaker for this last week's class was Gary Chapman. And he just sat in his office and he did a Zoom call with us. It was incredible. And he started just teaching and just brought to my mind about how God has created us differently on purpose and how we speak a different love language. Some of us, it's quality time. That's how, that's how your spouse lives life. It's, it's, it's like, oh, I gave her a gift, and I bring her flowers, and I bring her this, and I bring her that, and she turned around and said, you know what, my, my love language is quality time. I just want you to spend time with me. Some of it is acts of service. You, you want to you make your wife think you're the best? Go home and do the dishes. Amen. Did, you hear, did you guys hear that? Amen. It's, I, I tell you, you doing the dishes cannot compete whatever you buy with that Victoria's Secret. I promise you. Just, just the joy in a scrub brush and the dishes and, and all of a sudden, yeah. Uh, the giving of gifts. He said in some, for some people it's just a little acts of kindness of, of, of just doing the simple things of giving of gifts or words of affirmation. Can I, can I tell you, no one in the world should value your spouse more than you do. Nobody should. And, and what happens is a lot of times that I, I, I see this happening that some people, they're searching, they're just craving for somebody to acknowledge the value of them and say, you're doing a great job, or you look great, or you're pretty, or you, 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 you work hard, or whatever. They're craving that. And, and guys, what happens is your wife ends up going to work, and some guy comes by and says, man, you're looking good today. Or, man, you're such a hard worker. Or, man, are you married? You're such a catch or whatever. And something inside of them, they just, they well up like, I've not heard that in years. Nobody ever makes me feel that way. And Satan just steps in and says, well, that's what you need and that's what you deserve. And all of a sudden, things go downhill. It's on both sides of it. Or physical touch, another one of the love languages that we have, but a lot of people live their lives with their love bank being empty. They don't feel valued. They don't feel noticed. They don't feel appreciated. They don't feel loved because we get comfortable. Can I, take, I tell everybody here right now, what I'm talking about right now just straight up takes effort. You've got you've to know what the difference is. You've, you've got to make an effort. You say, well, that's not me. You know one thing about the five love languages? You probably speak a different language. 
If your language is the fact that you speaking physical touch and, and, and I, I, I'm, my love language is physical touch. I have to hug my kids every night before we go to bed. If you guys know me, I'll, I'll hug your neck, I'll shake your hand, I'll pat you on the back of the hand, I'll pat you on the shoulder, I'll punch you in the arm, I'll do whatever, in a nice way, okay, in a nice way. They're like, man, that guy's violent. <laughs> but I, I just, I, I, that's, that's how I, you know, I've, I've got to like, you know, like you're doing a great job or fist pump or whatever. And if I'm around people, I'm like that. I just, I have to connect in that some way. But, I, and I, but your spouse might be totally different. They're, they're, they need the words of affirmation. They need you to come in and say, well, I, I've noticed that you're, you work so hard. You make the meals. You fold the clothes. Or you, you look so nice or whatever. And you say, I'm not like that. Then you need to open your eyes and learn to speak another language. You know why? Render unto them the due benevolence that they deserve. It's a commandment. By the way, guys, if your golf swing was bad, you would get a teacher and learn how to improve your golf swing. You would make the effort to do that. How dare we would do that for a golf swing, but we won't do that with the relationship with our spouse. Make an effort. Read a book. Get a counselor. Do what you need to do. And let me close with this. Marriages thrive when we embrace God's design, when we meet each other's needs, and when we exercise the gift of intimacy. Paul addressed the sexual sins that were in the church and the wrong that was happening, and how it was polluting the church. But then he addressed what is right, and what was needed, and what was created for marriage. Verse 5, defraud ye not one the other, except to be with consent. That ye may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and coming together again, that Satan tempt ye not for your incontinency. <clears throat> Paul was addressing the need for sex in marriage. And I know to even say the word sex in church, people are like, oh, he can't say that word. God created that word. God created sex. God said when he was done that it is good. And you say, I don't believe that. Do you know where Cain and Abel came from? You say, this is uncomfortable. You know what's uncomfortable is the fact that the world has grabbed this concept of sex and ripped it to shreds and perverted it. And the church turns their head and looks the other way. I don't know why marriages aren't fulfilled and I don't know why things aren't working. Because we stop talking about the things that the Bible has literally clearly put in Scripture. Sex was created by God. We talk about how it shouldn't happen outside of marriage. Can I reiterate? Let me just go back to my message that I preached a couple weeks ago about what God created sex to do. Sex and relationship is more than just producing children. God created sex to be a super glue in marriage. And I explain this. If you take two people that are not married and you take two teenagers or young people or people in their 20s and they begin to engage and expose themselves in such a way to be totally open to the other person in such an intimate level. They give of themselves in every way possible. There's no way closer to put two people together. It is an emotional, spiritual, mental bond that God creates. And then they break up. Or they cheat on each other. Or something happens. And then that person goes away saying, I am so depressed. I'm suicidal. I I can't even face them. I'm not going back to that church. I'm not going back to that youth group. I'm not going, I can't ever see them. I'm I'm all this because you know what Satan does? He he takes that relationship that was meant to bond and bond and bond and bond. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his spouse so they shall be one flesh. It, it's, the, it's, it's the liquid nail for one flesh. It is, it is part of the thing that God gave them that is totally secluded from everybody else. You're not to have an open relationship. It's not supposed to be an open marriage, okay? It is one man for one woman, and that's the way that God created it. When we blur the lines of that, and we bring people in together for that, and then what we do is we rip it apart. 
That emotional bond that was connected and those teenagers, the young people, like I'm so, I feel so rejected and there's restraining orders and I hate them and they hate me and, and we rip them apart and we separate. It was never supposed to be outside of marriage. It's meant to be a bonding agent for a relationship in marriage. But when it is in marriage, it brings a bond on a level that nothing else can. It brings a closeness that God created. Now I know sex should be a normal part of a marital relationship. And I'm not saying that there's not different seasons of life that we go through in marriages or medical issues or emotional issues. I know that, I know that, I know that. And I tell you as a pastor as I'm preaching this that I acknowledge those things, but I would also challenge you to confront those things. Sometimes we're just like, I can't because something in my past or something there. But man, those things, man, get a counselor, talk to a Christian, talk to somebody because sex is good for marriage and it should be there. And I know that there's wounds and things like that, but God heals and helps. You say sex is not always what it should be in marriage because a lot of the other things that we've already talked about are not present in marriage. Man, if you would learn to step up and lead your wife, she'll fall in love with you in a way to give herself to you or to engage in that relationship in a way that she naturally feels led to. For sex, it's physical for men and it's emotional and uh, mental for women a lot of times. And you say, that's why I don't understand it. And then, well, God had a plan for that because if God made us the same, it would, it would not work. God literally made it to create balance. Remember everything. And by the way, with I'm saying this, and I think you guys can all read between the lines, that I don't mind saying it at all. That's why same-sex marriage doesn't work. We take the balance that God's created, and we swing it over here, and we try to put the positive and the positive together, or the negative and the negative together, and we're wondering why it doesn't work. It might work for a season, but it wasn't created by God to do that. God literally created you with needs to be able to meet with the other person. God created you even, I'm not trying to be weird with this, but I cre- God created you physically in such a way to connect to the other person. God created you physically in that way to do that. And, 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 and Satan loves to take things that God created and he just moves them around. He twists and confuses things to where they don't work right. God made us different on purpose. And thriving marriages need sex when it's done in the right way. Sex was created by God to build the relationship, but not to control. It says, defraud not one from another, except it be for the purpose of fasting and prayer, but that's the only time. But to use it as a weapon, like I'm mad or I didn't get what I wanted or whatever, the Bible says that that is wrong. You don't use it as a weapon to your spouse or else Satan come in and tempt you. We're not talking about just existing. We're talking about thriving and marriage. Let me give you a passage from the Old Testament. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up here in a second. Proverbs 5.19, the Bible speaks of love and passion and sex. And he says, Proverbs 5.19, let her be as a loving kind in a pleasant row. This, the beauty, the description of beauty, it was poetic. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. That's not being weird or perverted. perverted. He was literally bringing in the physical to saying that you will be satisfied with sex of marriage, but it should not be porn or cheating. And by the way, can I throw something out there that how we have this dilemma that happens a lot of times and, 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 and if I already kind of hinted on this, I don't mind reiterating this. But we, we will say that porn is wrong. Sex out of marriage is wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. But God created man and women differently and man to have this desire. So we're desire towards our spouse. And then the spouse is like, no, you're not. 
I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I don't want to, I, you know, and things. And sometimes it's, it's we, we, we just don't work at it. We, our mindset or whatever, we need to prioritize these things. So the husband then bounces back this way. It's like, well, I'm tempted and I didn't want to do that. I don't want to fall. So he goes back to the marriage. And you realize that what we do is we create this, there, there's no options. I know what is right and that's not working. And I know what is wrong and I know that won't work either. And I don't know what to do. I'm just being real with you guys, okay? I, I'm just being real. Because I talk with couples all the time and they, they, they're broken over this. And I'm trying to be real with you guys because a lot, of, a lot of women don't feel fulfilled in marriage because the man is not stepping up to be the spiritual leader. You're, you're, you're not doing your job. You're not loving her. You're not, you're not meeting her needs. You're selfish, selfish, selfish. And she knows it. But you want her to be like, oh, I'm so into that. She's not into that, okay? She's not into it. Because you're not into your job or responsibility. But it started with the man all the way back in Genesis. And as a result of that, we have marriages that are just falling apart, that grow up in church, know the word of God, go to church, pray at the altar, all these other things. And it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. But I'm here to tell you that God has called us to be, what's the word? Different. God has called us to be different. To where your kids grow up in a home where they see the example of a loving parent, a loving mom and dad. They see it, they visualize it, and they want to replicate it because of the fact is they caught it. Can I finish the verse? It says, and be thou ravished always with her love. I've preached on this before, but can I tell you the word ravished means intense desire. It means the idea of being intoxicated. It means to be enraptured. It means to be overcome with delight. When, when relationships are doing the right thing, it just, it's like, man, I love my wife. I'm so in love. You'll be 35 years and you're like, what, what are you guys excited about? We're going on a cruise or we're going on vacation. We're doing another honeymoon or whatever. And, and all of a sudden there's love and excitement that should be there. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't even start with fulfilling your role and your responsibility and the fact that, well, I don't get her. She's different than you, made by God to be distinctly different than you. Embrace that. Praise God for that. Meet each other's needs and embrace the gift of sex. I'm going to finish the verse. Read it one more time, but emphasize the end. Defraud ye not one from another, except to be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan, Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Satan is a roaring lion just watching the foundation. Remember, marriage is foundation. Marriage is an illustration of God's love. Marriage is at the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. Marriage, so no wonder Satan is just walking around, just waiting, just waiting. He's, he's gonna figure out a way to tempt you and guys, now it's easy because he can just pump junk to your phone. He's going to tempt you by that one girl that's not the type of girl you should even be talking to at work, but you gravitate toward them because they give you attention or she flirts with you and that's not even a concept you even know anymore of being flirted with by somebody. It's like, whoa, wow, that feels good. And you gravitate towards it. You know what Satan's doing? He's looking for you to not do what you should do so he can tempt you. Bible says, but the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. That's what he's going to do. If he steps into your relationship, he's not stepping it in just to change things up. He's out to kill, to destroy, and to take from you.
Because I, this, you say this is a weird, uncomfortable message. It's Bible, guys. It's Bible. And if, if we don't start preaching the Bible, we start falling apart. And we don't know why. I, I, I know it's uncomfortable. I know that. And I, and I know that it's one of those things that you're saying, man, I didn't come there. I need to be edified. But if we start doing the word, what the Bible says, I promise you our lives will change. Our lives will change. So let's just keep doing what God has called us to do. And let's keep being the church that stands on the truth. And you guys back me up. We'll keep preaching and busting open issues that we know are controversial as long as it's Bible. Man, it's gonna edify the saints and change the church because that we're just doing God's thing God's way.